Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Okay. Before we, uh, before we read, um, this, particularly chapter 7, is, uh, is a chapter, you know, this is where Stephen is martyred, and I've alluded to this in the past. And this is one of the chapters in Acts. It's a lot like uh, when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about Christ's resurrection. Um, it's different because I don't, I feel inadequate in, 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 in speaking about this, um, to really doing it proper justice, um, but, but for different reasons. I mean, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's just a lot more the- theology there. And this one, you know, the more I read this account, um, you know, the, this is all that's really talked about with Stephen. It's really, you know, the, his introduction and in, in what we saw last week uh, and then leading into this and then he's martyred. But the more I read this account, is I have this this kind of relationship with him. I mean, it, it hits me when when it, at the end it says, you know, he fell asleep. Obviously, he, he died. Uh, but it causes me to cry but it's like a glorious cry it's a wonderful thing it's not really a sadness it's just this incredible holy linking um, so I, I I just find this passage of scripture as a very special uh, very um, and very great and and uh, a reflection of God's faithfulness uh, really um, we, we also ought to notice that uh, in a the first person, the first man martyred in the church is not an apostle. Uh, it's, it's kind of an ordinary man, but he was ordained by the church and ordained by the apostles. I mean, I think in the providence of God, I mean, I surmise that one reason it wasn't an apostle so that we wouldn't make them out to be actually more. Uh, so they wouldn't, we wouldn't assume that their martyrdom was a redemptive act in, in history. Um, so I think it was actually by God's grace that, that it was um, not an apostle first. So here, the church is assaulted through one man, just as she is saved by one man. Okay, and, and I really want to show how that um, manifests. Uh, one of the things we're going to consider today, we had introduced the devil a little bit last week, um, <coughs> And today we are going to consider a little bit of hell and heaven. Uh, it was inevitable we would have to speak of hell eventually, and that's going to be today. Um, so this is going to be this is going to be a little bit different than our typical studies. Um, Stephen also lays out a history of Old Testament Israel, which is also kind of fitting because I know a lot of y'all are unfamiliar with that. So we'll get to to have kind of a synopsis, a, a brief kind of overview of, of things that transpired in the Old Testament. We can kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, so I think that's good. Uh, but, um, but we are going to talk a little bit about hell. We're going to end, though, with heaven. Um, but I just want you to kind of be ready for that. And so, again, other than what we talk about specifically through here, um, it's going to be a little bit different today. And that's why... If we go long, I'm sorry. We just go long. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna exhaust this text. 
okay? Uh, I'm gonna, you know, kind of give you, you know, a brief account of what he's talking about, why he's probably bringing these things up. And that's, so largely like uh, when we looked at Christ's resurrection, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we'll take, we'll look at that again some other time. Same thing. So we're, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this passage one way today, and then next time, God willing, we come across it, we'll look at it a little differently, okay? Okay, let's go ahead and read through. Um, actually, let, uh, yeah, let's just read through it all. <clears throat> okay, everybody ready? You ready? Do? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which uh, Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council look, looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Go ahead and turn to chapter 7. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and, dw and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it, uh, give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God, is, but God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring uh, them into uh, bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave, them, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot, begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all, uh, all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our, uh, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, seventy-five people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Sheshem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Sheshem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they may not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But, he was, but when he was uh, set out, Pharaoh's da daughter took, took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and, and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. 
And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of uh, Sinai, of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the Lord, your, uh, I'm the Lord, uh, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take, off your, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. Egypt. I have heard their groanings uh, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown uh, wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us uh, out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idols, uh, idol, and, re and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And God turned, turned and gave them up to worship the host of the heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took, took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images, where you made, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joseph into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out from before, uh, before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But Solomon, Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran out at him, out at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the, witness laid down, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
just go back to uh, chapter 6, verse 8. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose uh, some from what is called the synagogues of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. So we'll see in the next chapter, chapter 8, uh, Philip is also given a uh, gift to, do, to perform signs and wonders uh, because so not only the apostles are given that gift, these men were also ordained by the apostles, so they're given the gift as well. Uh, that he was full of faith doesn't mean that he had a perfect faith. Actually, in other manuscripts it said grace. So it says, uh, uh, and Stephen was full of grace and power. And I, and I love that because actually the only means by which we have faith is his grace. So he, his faith is great because uh, God is great. Um, by the way, I neglected to mention last week that all of the seven men that were chosen, who were chosen, all had Greek names. So all the apostles have Hebrew names, uh, but all of the, the men chosen, and maybe that was to appease the Hellenists. Remember, we saw that they were Greek-speaking Jews. It could have been possibly that. Um, but regardless, the synagogues of the synagogue of the freedmen were uh, Ju freed Jewish slaves, um, and these men were from uh, these were Cyrenians and Alexandrians. That's from those are they're from well-known cities of North Africa of that time, uh, who spoke Greek. All these men speak Greek. Um, uh, uh, where were the other places? Um, Cilicia was a Roman province in uh, Southeast Asia Minor. And the hometown of uh, Saul, actually, Tarsus, was a major city in that place. Uh, and so that might be why he's here. Uh, we see Saul, oh, wait, uh, the other one, what was the other one? Um, where's the other place? Asia. Asia. Uh, Asia was a Roman province in, like, the western side of modern-day Turkey. So don't think of, like, all the, you know, huge Asia. Uh, it's the province. Um, uh, so we'll see Paul. Or we'll see Saul, who who is Paul. Saul is the Hebrew version of Paul, and later it just starts referring to him as Paul, and we'll see that much later. Uh, but for right now, it's Saul, and we'll see him at the end. You know, uh, authorizing this this execution. Therefore, he was the authority there to authorize this execution. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that these freed men were, you know, freed from slavery is kind of ironic because they're still slaves in sin, in heinous sin, as we've discussed. Verse 10, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit uh, by which he spoke. So, they're not able to resist the wisdom by which he spoke because they can't resist the spirit by which he speaks. You, can't, you don't have one without the other. You have wisdom because you have the spirit. You have the spirit who gives you wisdom. There is no wisdom found in any other but God himself. Uh, so God didn't fill him with his spirit in vain. Uh, so let's remember also when Gamaliel had referred to those two men, Theodos and Judas, remember? Um, and what was initially... So back in those days, there were, there were always arising men calling themselves the Messiah. All, all over the place, and including those men. Uh, well, I think Theodos did. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I don't think Judas did. But either way, there were many people claiming to be messiahs that would that would that would uh, begin these revolts, these armed revolts, which we considered. Uh, but so I think what he's. Uh, let me read Matthew twenty four twenty four. Mark you Mark uh, thirteen twenty two says, 
Christ says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I want us to pay attention here because this comes back later on. Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or, or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer, dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from, uh, from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. So Christ admonishes people for believing in prophets just because of signs and wonders. We'll see the signs and wonders that Christ did attest, yes, that... They weren't in order. They were kind of in, or in, uh, in order to attest to his messianic, his messiahship. However, you have to look at the particular signs and wonders he did. They they attested to who he was. He never did it as some arrogant show. We'll see that, but it's important that you know because we'll see the antichrist who comes is able to do many signs and wonders. And so remember, and we'll, let's wait until we get that there. Um, in Second Th Thessalonians, oh well, it's in here actually. But Second Thessalonians two seven through thirteen, Paul says, "For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh, only he who now restrains will do." Let me go ahead and just let's shorten this a little bit. Let's go ahead and, in Revelations thirteen thirteen and fourteen. Uh, John says he, the Antichrist, performs great signs so that he uh, even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. So we must not believe in Christ merely because he did miracles. Remember, when Luke said, uh, when he's writing to Theophilus in the book of Acts, he's saying, remember the former account I made, oh great Theophilus, of both uh, what Jesus began to do those were the signs and the wonders, and to teach. Those two are linked. Okay, So all of his signs and wonders were always gracious acts of mercy. They were compassionate signs showing who he is. So he'd heal the blind so that we can see, number one, he's healing the blind, which is a compassionate work, but also points to our blindness. He heals the deaf. Same thing. Very compassionate, very merciful, and same thing. We're deaf. Let's go ahead and go to Lazarus, Lazarus, and uh, raising him from the dead. That is obviously a merciful act uh, uh, for Lazarus and his two sisters, and Jesus himself who wept. But also that points to him raising us up. So everything he did was according to who he is. This Antichrist is going to be, you know, calling fire from the heaven and and you know down to the earth as some pompous nonsense. So if you see some man, and that's what Deuteronomy says. So this is well before Christ. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy it's called the, the Deuto is two. So it's really the second giving of the law. It's, it's a long, uh, basically it's a long sermon of Moses just before he dies. So that's really why we look at a Deuteronomy so much. Christ uh, um, quoted from Deuteronomy I think more than any other book. It could have been Isaiah, but it, many times. When he's uh, tempted in the wilderness, that's all he uses. Uh, anyway, um, so so that's important. So again, he those signs and wonders did attest to his, his uh, messianic 
role that he's that he is our savior however we believe we believe in christ and thereby he did miracles does that make sense so we don't believe in christ because he did miracles okay 11 and 12 then they secretly induced man men to say we have heard him speak blasphemous words against moses and god and they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes and they came uh upon him seized him and brought him to the council so just as the remember we looked at those other accounts and and just as the witnesses were were, were more than happy to perjure themselves in, in to christ in particular remember they had called we have that account i i have that uh, it's matthew 26 59 through 61 so if you want to check that out um Oh, the, uh, yeah, because um, Christ had said, so remember, one of the accusations that, that they're made, they made against Stephen is that he speaks against the temple. One of the things, we'll see that later anyways, so we'll get back to that. But uh, the Greek word for induce is hupabalao, <laughs> which means to uh, instruct privately, in, uh, intimate, to bribe, or induce some, uh, someone unlawfully or secretly to perform some deed or commit a crime. To induce, especially a witness, to give false testimony. So that they're probably bribing these men. It could be, it's possible that they're bribing these men to be false witnesses. Because um, again, false witnesses would be killed. So I mean, it would, pretty, it'd have to be a significant enticement to, to do that. Um, and just as they stirred up the people against Christ again, so they're doing here. Um, and then he's taken to the same council we've seen, that Sanhedrin last week and weeks prior. 13 and 14, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this, this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and uh, change the customs which uh, Moses delivered to us. So again, these false witnesses, they can't, you know, they can't say anything. They can't resist the wisdom of Stephen or the spirit. Um, and so they're just going to distort what he says. Just like they did. So in John, uh, John 2.19, after Christ overturned the money changers tables, uh, they ask him, you know, what sign do you give to show that you basically have the authority to do this? And he says, uh, so after Jesus answered, said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Now, then after that, there's a postscript that John gives and says, you know, later on, his apostles realized that he was talking about himself. Now, later uh, in Luke 21, five through six says, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful uh, stones and donations. Christ said, these things which you see, the days will come in which one stone shall not be, shall be left, uh, one stone shall be left upon another. Oh, the days will, uh, will come in which not one stone uh, shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Christ predicted the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which will, God willing, consider some other time. Uh, but that's not what they're talking about. He's saying, you know, when he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days, even the, the priests and the Pharisees, when Christ is crucified, they're mocking him with that. You know, you said you would destroy the temple. Why don't you save yourself? You know, he saved others. He can't save himself. All this nonsense. Um, so Jesus actually reinforced the validity of, Moses, of the law of Moses and actually uh, gave testimony to the precepts and really accentuated and really uh, pronounced them in their, more, in their fuller so again, that's that mystery being revealed. And, and he's also correcting misunderstandings. 
So that goes back to the theology. He, what Christ was doing was correcting misinterpretations mostly. But he, he's also, when, when, when Christ says, like I've, I've, I've mentioned in the past, you've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. That was in the law. He says, but I say to you, he who looks at another woman, at another woman lustfully has already committed, to, committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying, yeah, y'all, y'all look at the law here, but this is really what the law is saying. You know, he's taking to its ultimate meaning. Okay. Um, so, also, in Ste- Stephen's speech, in his defense, he never, you know, castigates the temple. He never says anything poorly about the temple. And we'll look at the temple um, as we go along. Okay, 15. And all who sat in the council, looks, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as an angel. So, in Exodus... Uh, Chapter 34, after uh, Moses takes, gets, the, you know, God gives him the two ta- tablets of stone, and he, God actually inscribes the commandments on the stones. And when he comes down, his face is shining. He didn't know that, but his face was shining. So whenever he would go, whenever he would speak to, speak to the people, that's fine. And when he would go meet with God, that's cool. But apart from that, he would always wear a veil because the people, it was too much for the people. <laughs> it, you will... What, I would love to actually read Exodus with y'all because Moses is constantly fighting against these people who are always against him. I mean, there there's certain number of reserved people who, who are following him. Joshua is a very faithful companion of him. Even uh, Moses' brother Aaron uh, goes against him and makes this calf for them, and he's the high priest. Anyway, we'll get to that um, uh, anyway. But Stephen was full of wisdom and, and the Spirit. I think what this is actually alluding to, he was perfectly calm. He was perfectly calm. Just like we were looking at last week, you know, when these men are beaten and they're rejoicing and they prayed for boldness and they prayed for Christ to continue and that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And, and you know, all these, all these men are, are, are speaking all these, uh, all these, uh, this false testimony, and he's just sitting there at peace. He's just radiating Christ's glory. Okay, so seven one. Then the high priest said, "Are these things? Are these things so?" So the holy, the the high priest is only concerned, just like we've seen about their authority, the temple, and all this kind, of, this stuff, which. This is where we're going to start doing this. Uh, the Catholic Church does largely. Uh, they they care for their te- their their uh, their traditions. They care for their theology. They care for their councils. When Luther came out, he had no interest in a separating from the church. None. The Re- the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, had nothing to do with separating from the church. But basically, they were ki- we were take- kicked out by force uh, at the Diet of Worms. Uh, Luther was called to come before this council, okay, and and he had written all this this stuff that went against most of the Catholic teaching and most of the uh, Catholic tradition of that time, and they're they're commanding him to recant. Now, back then, if you wouldn't recant, you were most likely going to be killed, and that probably what would and we'll get to this story much later. But they 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 ask him, you know, here are all your works. Do you recant? And first, Moses or Luther is kind of shaky, and he says, "You know, why don't you give me a day?" And they did. They gave him a day. He came back uh, the next day. Says, "Do you recant?" 
He says, unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or pure reason that this, that this isn't true, you know, uh, uh, and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted, contradicted themselves, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. I, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. So this has carried on, sadly, even in the church. We, we, so the pride of men and the haughtiness of men to go up against Christ has actually continued, sadly, in his church. All right, two through five. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and, your, and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even uh, enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to uh, give it to him for a possession and to his descendants afterward. So, first of all, the glory of God mentioned in verse 2 is, recalls the same which attended the tabernacle. And we'll, get, we'll, we'll see that uh, when, when uh, first of all, when, when the Israelites are delivered out of Egypt, there's a pillar of cloud and there's a pillar of smoke. Okay, uh, the, and, and, and one is behind the people, and one is in, in front of the people. Okay, uh, now when they get to the sea, you know, it parts and that continues. And then when, when the Egyptians come to chase them, they both, so the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, basically re, put a huge barrier, you know, so the Egyptians can't chase them while they're walking through the sea. And then basically once they're almost across, that's when they, the, the pillars cross, the sea and and then rejoin the Israelites and that's when the Egyptians chase after and then by then the Israelites are on the other side and the water comes back down and Pharaoh and his men are falling uh, but that that cloud so when when they would carry when they were they were wandering in the wilderness during the day when they would carry the cloud uh, it would be there would be a pillar coming up from the Holy of Holies at night it would be a pillar of fire pretty sweet pretty cool but anyway, that's what he's alluding to. This is the glory of the Lord. Uh, so here we go. Exodus 40, uh, 34 through 318. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Um, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the, uh, till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout their journey. I guess I should have just read that. Also, in John uh, 1.14, when he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word for dwelt there is literally tabernacled. Now, we will do this another time, but that's, 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 that's a poignant, poignant point. He, well, John is likening Christ to coming in the flesh, saying he is the tabernacle. The tabernacle becomes the temple, which we'll get to here in a second. But So he's also the temple, and that's why he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. He's talking about the body of his, the temple of his body. Um, 
here, here Stephen also is pointing to the fact that God calls these men away from Jerusalem, away from the, actually the land of Israel. The men, the, the, the Jews came to a point where they thought their land, since it was a promised land, that's great, was sacred. And the temple was sacred just because they're, it's Jewish kind of a thing. Like they lost the love for the God of the temple. And we'll get to that. So let's wait for that. Um, so Abraham, though, was a sojourner. Remember, we actually looked at this. And so, you know, if you all want the chapter 12 exegesis, remember, we, we were going through Genesis for a time. And then like uh, when the beginning of November started, we turned and we started doing other stuff. Um, but we went through this part. So if you want that, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, but his only, only resting place, Abraham's only, uh, only home there really was the cave that he bought for a burial site for he, his wife, uh, Isaac is also buried there with his wife, Rebecca, Jacob, and his first wife, Leah. And we'll see that. But anyway, uh, that's the only home he actually ever had. Okay, verse 6, but God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 uh, years. So in Exodus, it actually says that there were 430 years, so it says 430 years later, but, but what Stephen is saying is, what, uh, is referring to what God had told Abraham. God had told him that 400 years later, it's just a rounding number, just so you know that there's no actual uh, discrepancy, it's just... He's alluding to what uh, God was telling Abraham. Uh, again, as we've mentioned, their slavery is akin to uh, our, uh, ours in sin. Uh, verse 7, And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God, after they, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. So here, Stephen sort of combines the account of Abraham in, in Genesis 15, 14, and Moses in Exodus 3 and 12. Uh, but Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 20 um, it, which is uh, the prophecy of Israel's return from captivity. He says, Their children uh, also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I'll punish all who oppress them. So, again, remember, no, the deliverance from death, our last oppressor, uh, so the deliverance, though, is to serve God. What God is saying is, when he, he's, he's talking to Abraham, and they will come out and serve uh, um they will come out and serve me in this place. And that's actually what he tells Moses in the burning bush. That mount, we'll get, that at, get to that, but that mount is actually away from Israel also. That's in Egypt. And we'll get to that, though. Let's wait uh, to talk more about that. Um, well, I guess we're going to do it here. Uh, so God says, so his deliverance from Egypt, though, is to go serve him, on the mountain. So remember, the, the salvation, salvation means service, right? To have faith, it means to serve God. But look at what he's saying. He's saying to, to come and serve me in this mountain, to worship. It's the service of worship. To be a slave in praise is to be the most freed man or woman who can be free. They were slaves of Pharaoh in bondage. They become slaves of God in freedom. Does that make sense? Okay, they come to serve God in worship. You know, to serve God is the most is the the freest thing there is. That's true liberty is only found in God. Okay, um, verse eight. Then he gave him the co uh, covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. 
we've mentioned that God uh, gave Abraham uh, the covenant of, mention, of, of circumcision, which uh, was in uh, Genesis 17.10. He does, he does this just before he renames uh, Sarai, Sarah. He had already re- renamed Abra, Abram, Abraham. Um, in Psalm 32, 1 and 2, and also uh, Paul quotes this in Romans 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Do you all remember what impute means? The imputation. So uh, we, imputation, we impute our sins on Christ and Christ imputes his righteousness to us. Remember, there's, a, there's kind of a, an exchange of imputation. So our sins, we impute to Christ and he takes them on the cross. His righteousness, he imputes into us and we take up his righteousness. Does that make Okay. Um, so Romans, uh, four, nine through 12. So this is what follows that part where after he, uh, uh, quotes that part, the, that Psalm, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was, un- uh, for we say that faith, faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of, of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those uh, who not only are of the, are, are of the, uh, are, who are of the circumcision, but all, who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Okay, the Jews, circumcision was a big deal to the Jews, as we've seen, Okay. What Paul is making the point is God, God accounted righteousness to, to Abraham before he gave him the covenant of, uh, of circumcision. When, when Christ or God sees the faith of Abraham and accounts to, that, uh, to him righteousness because of that, not because of his circumcision. That's why Stephen is mentioning this. It's just to um, kind of argue against that part. Um, okay, 9 and 10. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold J- Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him uh, governor over Egypt and all his house. Are you all familiar with this story? Code of many colors? Any of that? Okay, yeah, I'm sure you do your cartoon. Uh, Ju- so jo- uh, Jacob had a... To- oh, I didn't mean that. Yeah, I didn't mean that. <laughs> That way, uh, but yeah. So Jacob had twelve sons by four different women. Okay, he had two wives and two concubines, but he has t- twelve sons. Um, he loved Rebecca the most. Long story short, he he had to go flee to his uncle Laban. Remember, and so Laban made him a deal, basically that you know you serve me for seven years and I'll give you my daughter uh, as a wife. You know, and because Jacob wanted Rebecca, and so he did, and, and then Laban tricked him. Because he, because God showed much favor with Jacob, so his flocks, Laban was getting rich off of Jacob. So he tricked him and and gave him Leah instead, unbeknownst to Jacob. And once he realized it, he's like, "Hey, what's up with that?" And so Laban said, "You know, serve me another seven years, and I'll give you Rebecca." And he does. And so then he has two wives, and then he has two concubines. But Joseph is uh, Rebecca's first son. Uh, she was she was barren for a while, but anyway. Uh, God gives her uh, Joseph, who's her first son, and Jacob loves him. He he he's like his favorite, basically, which isn't good, but he is. He becomes his favorite. That's why he gives him the tunic of many colors, 
That's where the colors come in. And Joseph, jo jo God gives uh, Joseph all these dreams about, you know, like uh, there's one where, you know, there are 12 stars and the sun and the moon are all bowing to him. And his brothers, even his father kind of gets upset about that because that's pointing to his brothers and uh, his father and mother are going to be bowing to him. You know, uh, he sees, hey, it's the same kind of thing. So he has these dreams and his, his brothers are very jealous of him because of his father's love for him. But also because what are these dreams, man? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, so they, they become really hostile to him. Let's see where this ends. Okay. So what they do, what they decide to do, they're, they're, uh, they're in another land doing work for their father and they're tarrying too long. And so Jacob sends Joseph to go find them. And, you know, he does. And remember, the brothers hated him. And so they decide, let's kill him. <laughs> let's kill him and, and tell dad, like, you know, uh, a beast killed him or something. Reuben, the oldest, dissuades from them from that. So they, he, he kind of compromises and says, Let him, let's throw him into that pit over there. And so they did. And apparently Reuben went away somewhere. And while he was away, Judah came up with a good idea to, hey, instead of killing him, let's just sell him. And then we'll <laughs> tell uh, you know, our father that, uh, that he died from the hands of a beast. And so they do. The Midianite tra uh, travelers are kind of passing by. And Ishmaelites, Ishmael was uh, Isaac's brother, Isaac's half-brother. And that's a long story. But Ishmaelites, they, they sell him to these Ishmaelites. And they're the ones who actually took him over to Egypt. And Reuben's kind of upset. Reuben actually planned to deliver uh, Jake, uh, Joseph back to Jacob. So he's pretty incensed that, the, that his brothers actually sold him when he comes back. Anyway, so the, the Ishmaelites take him to Egypt. When he's in Egypt, he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Uh, he's, a, he's a great and wealthy man at that time. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and Joseph is given favor uh, um, in Potiphar's house. So that everything, just like uh, um, Jacob, you know, to Laban, God has given him favor. And so everything in Potiphar's house is great. And so Potiphar gives him control over everything. Like, basically, you know, <laughs> you know don't, you know, like, just take care of it. I totally trust you. Now his wife starts to try to uh, seduce him. Uh, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. And he keeps on saying, you know, I can't do that. How can I sin against... God and sin against your, your Potiphar. I mean, he's taken me in. He's taking care of me. You know, this is a great bit. I'm not, shoot, I'm never going to do that. Um, and so finally, and she keeps on trying to do this. And so finally one day, uh, she gets physical and she grabs him and she says, you know, come here, lie with me. And he takes off. He, he kind of wrestles away, but the garment stayed in her hands. So he kind of fled away naked, but he fled. So she, she screamed. And told Potiphar basically that he tried to force herself on her. So, so Pot, and whether Potiphar actually believed her or not is anybody's guess. Anyway, so uh, Joseph is put in prison. I'm sorry, this is the only way I can give a synopsis of this because it says uh, that he gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh. So we got to work our way through there. Uh, anyway, so he's in prison, right? Same thing. God gives him favor in the prison. So the keeper of the prison uh, gives him gives him basically authority over all the other prisoners. And two prisoners come in, uh, uh, Pharaoh's uh, basically chief butler and a chief ba baker. They both come in, right? And all, eventually, they both have dreams, okay? And I'm not going to get into the dreams. Joseph is an interpreter of dreams, okay? That's important as we go along. But uh, so he... They give him the dream, and, and he interprets, interprets it, which basically means in three days, the baker's head is going to be cut off, and the butler is going to be restored to his 
role. And that's exactly what happens. But uh, when, when Joseph realizes that's what is going to happen, he asks the butler to speak to Pharaoh regarding him. You know, I'm an innocent man in prison. Please, I ask you, once you're delivered, remember me. And so he's delivered. He, he returns to his role, and he doesn't. He doesn't remember him. He's probably trying to tread lightly, you know. I mean, he was just in prison. Like, I don't think he's going to come out and try to, you know, <laughs> do any favors for anybody. Um, but anyway, so eventually Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. None of his magicians, none of these, you know, learned wise men or anything. And the butler remembers Joseph. So he tells Pharaoh about him. Pharaoh brings him in. And sure enough, Joseph is able to uh, interpret the dream. The dream basically means that Egypt is going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of severe famine. Okay. And now Joseph is able to interpret this dream. So Pharaoh is saying, who is, who is, why is like this man? You know, let, let's make him ruler and governor of our, Joseph told him basically what his plans are, what he should do. He's recommending to Pharaoh is store, uh, use these seven years of plenty to store up grain, to basically keep as much to save for when the famine comes. Okay, so that's where God uh, put, makes him governor over all things, and that's what he does. In all the different cities, he he builds these storehouses to fill with grain, primarily grain. Some other things, but it's primarily grain, and that will play a part later. That's why it was important for me to kind of go through that. Okay. Um, and this is reflective of how God uh, gave Christ favor in delivering him from death, by the way. This is another reason Jesus, or, uh, Stephen is saying this. Okay, 11 and 12. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers ha found no sustenance. Uh, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent on our father, fathers first. Okay, so again, when that famine starts to hit, what he's talking about, his fathers are the, the, Jacob's other sons. You know, obviously, Joseph is in... In, is in Egypt and the governor, so uh, he's talking about them. And so Jacob, they're they're going through the same same famine. The, this famine was reached out to Canaan as well. Um, and so Jacob tells his sons, except for Benjamin. So Benjamin is uh, Joseph's younger brother. Uh, okay, and so he's all that's left from his wife Rebecca, who died. Rebecca died. Um, so he's keeping them close. So he just sends all the ten other brothers. Okay. Um, now, okay, first, before we even get to that, this ended up a very prudent plan for Moses, and, and it works out very well, but we'll see it has a very unhappy aftermath. Okay, so all this is great, but it actually has a very unhappy aftermath, and we'll get to that. Um, uh, first, uh, yeah, I already said that. Um, okay, so... Yeah, I got it. Yeah, so the, okay, first, so the first time they go, the his Joseph's brothers don't don't recognize Joseph. I mean, he's probably all different. You know, first of all, he's older, but he's all different. He recognizes them though, and so you know he sets it up to where, but he's kind of he's kind of uh, he's being kind of crafty. You know, he's saying, you know, how do I know y'all aren't spies? And they go on to say, well, no, you know, we have our father. You know, our father sent us here. You know, we do have another brother, but, you know, he kept him behind. He's his favorite. We used to have another brother, you know, but he died. He was, you know, devoured by beasts because that's what they told. They took the bloody tunic to, to Jacob and said, you know, he was devoured by beasts. Um, and so he's telling Joseph all this. He, Joseph brings him in to have, uh, um, to have some uh, grub and everything. 
uh, and he treated them well, but at times he would have to retreat and uh, um, uh, weep. He ends up putting them in prison, like all of them in prison, for three days. On the third day, he says, okay, look, here's what we'll do. So that I, I know you're not spies, how about one of y'all stay behind and the others go uh, and send your other brother so that I know y'all aren't spies. You know, you told me you have another brother, this is the way you can prove it to me, okay? So they choose Simeon. So Simeon stays behind. When they return to Jacob, Jacob doesn't want to let them go back. He's not, he's like, no, sorry, Simeon. <laughs> Stinks to be you, but uh, no, he does not want to lose his only other son from Rebecca. So they don't go. He doesn't send them back for a while. And then the famine just gets to be too much. He has no choice. He has to. He has to send Benjamin with him. Otherwise, they all die, including Benjamin. So he does. He relents. So they. So here, uh, verse 13. And the second time, Joseph made no, was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Okay, I've got to tell you, this account is among one of my favorite in, 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 the, in the Bible. It was really this account, the account of Judah's, Judah's offering himself to save his brother Benjamin, it really started turning me toward God. Uh, he ended up really getting me in Leviticus, which is pretty unusual, but uh, this is where it started. Um, also, Jacob and Joseph's uh, reunion, but this is really where it f first started. So this, this section is just really dear to me personally, very dear to me. It's hard to think about this without uh, a great deal of passion. Um, so, uh, we just want to, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, that's fine too. Okay, this is in uh, Genesis chapters 44 and 45. Um, so, so when Joseph's uh, brothers came back, again, he's got Benjamin, and that's great. And so he, he makes a huge feast for them all, and he actually sits them from the eldest to the youngest. Again, they don't know it's Joseph yet. So they're like, how the, this is strange. How does this guy know about that? So they're kind of amazed. Okay, and now when they, they serve the food, Benjamin's actually given five times the amount as all the others. That's kind of strange too right and so what happens is that's great they have the feet and and jacob hooks them up you know he releases simeon they and and he puts all sorts of grain all sorts of food all sorts of money hooks them up man they got a great hookup however he gets his steward to sneak in a his silver cup his silver cup into benjamin's sack they don't know about it he sneaks it in there so they all leave everything's great right? They're all full. And then Joseph sent his servant out to overtake them. And he does. And, and he's saying, and he says, you know, one of y'all took uh, my master's cup. You know, I know, I know one of y'all had to. And they're, because again, they don't know. And they say, far be it from us. I, you know, basically, if you find that cup in any of our sacks, that one will die and we'll be slaves. No, we're, we're not spies. We didn't do this. And so, yeah, go ahead and search our stuff. The one who did it dies and will be slaves. So he starts from the oldest. And everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And they come to Benjamin's sack, and there's a cup. And the brothers, they, they had to guarantee to their father. Judah put himself up as like uh, um, a guarantee, basically, as collateral kind of a thing, saying, if anything happens, I, I will not come back to you without Benjamin. 
I will come, we will come, we will, we will either come back with Benjamin or we will not come back. I will not come back at all. Okay. So they are devastated. Here's Benjamin. It's found in Benjamin's. It couldn't have been found in any of ours. You know, it's found in Benjamin's. Dang. You know, and so they all go back and, 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 and propose to uh, Joseph, just make us all slaves. How about, how about we, just, we just come under your servitude? And Joseph, being a fair and just man, says, you know, no. Benjamin's the one who did it. Y'all didn't do anything wrong. No, he stays. Y'all go. And Judah can't have that. Judah can't have that. Judah can't return to his father without Benjamin. He can't. So he offers himself. That's, that's Christ. That's Christ offering himself for us. But that's what he does for his younger brother, and that's when Joseph can't handle it anymore. It's too much for Joseph. And he reveals himself. He says, I am Joseph. And they have this great reunion. How is my father? It's this great, awesome account. Um, uh, anyway, yes, how his father is. They say, oh, my, you know, he's doing well. He, so he sends them out to go get his father. All right. So that's... Um, 14, then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. The only thing I'm going to say about this part is that uh, in Exodus it says 70, uh, but later on uh, in, uh, um, oh, well, I'm sorry, in Genesis, uh, but in Genesis it says that Joseph had two, two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Ephraim actually had a grandson. So that's five more people. And, and later in Exodus it actually says, you know, for Joseph was in Egypt, and that's why it wasn't counted as a 70. Um, uh, this is reflective of how Christ is made known to his brothers. Uh, all we as sinners are in a severe famine of our souls. All right, 14. Then Joseph sent and called his father to Jacob and all his relatives to, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 15 and 16. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem uh, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money uh, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So what Stephen actually does is kind of really condense this a lot. Uh, um, um, so Sheshem was actually a place that Jacob later, the, the, the cave um, uh, Abraham had bought was in Hebron. Okay? Sheshem was a later plot that Jacob bought. And that's actually where Joseph was buried, in Sheshem. The tomb was in Hebron. Uh, Josephus said uh, that the other brothers were buried in Haran too, or in uh, Hebron too. But the only ones who were buried in that cave that, that Abraham bought is Abraham and his wife Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and his first wife Leah. You know, law prohibited. So, and that's really kind of all I wanted to say about that. Um, other than, again, the account, the account where Joseph and Jacob reunite is one I would definitely encourage you to read. Um, 17 and 18. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they may, may not live. Okay, so this is where I was saying it's got a very unhappy aftermath. So in the providence of God, when, when the famine became increasingly severe. So at first, you know, the famine's coming, so people are bringing their money to buy grain. And, and all that, but then they're out of money, so now they're selling their livestock, you know, and, and then they run out of that, and then they're selling their property, and then they run out of that, 
and then they start selling themselves. So by the time 430 years have passed, especially that, it was a very glorious, you know, it's a, by the providence of God, the, the wise plan of Joseph turns into vile despotism. You know, this, this Pharaoh becomes so rich, he doesn't know anything about the, uh, these people, and he doesn't care, um, and he makes them all say, slaves. Um, let me see. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that here in a second. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, 20 and 21. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. So, do y'all know the story about Pharaoh and, and killing the male babies? He just wanted the male babies uh, to be killed. He, would, he hired uh, uh, housewives to do this, so basically right when they were born, they would have to kill them. The, the Hebrew, the midwives actually feared God, so they refused to do so. And they basically told uh, uh, the Pharaoh that, you know, the, these, these Hebrew women are kind of crazy, man. When they go into birth, they just pop them out before we can even get there. You know? And so God gave them favor. And so what, what uh, Pharaoh commands is that basically whenever you have a, a son, he's commanding the people, whenever you have a, the Hebrews, whenever you have a son, you need to throw him in the river. If you have a girl, fine. That's fine. But if it's a son, you got to throw him into the river. So what happens is when Moses is born, his mother finds him very beautiful, just as every other mother does. But she is not about to let him go into the river, so she hides him for three months. And then after that three months, it's got to be time. I mean, otherwise he's exposed. So she's got to do something. So she makes an ark, interestingly. <laughs> she makes a little reed, an ark out of reeds, sets Moses in there. And so she didn't throw him in the river. He was saved through the river, just like Noah was saved through the waters. Anyway, uh, puts, him in the, puts him in the water, sets him off. Pharaoh's daughter, uh, and he, he, come, he ends up uh, in, in, around Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter recognizes, and by the providence of God, Moses' sister was following. And so once Pharaoh's daughter actually finds him, she notices it's a Hebrew uh, uh, male. Uh, uh, and so, but, the, but she kind of falls in love with him too. And the sister comes and says, do you want me to find a midwife for you to nurse this baby? Because, you know, she hasn't had a child, so she can't feed. Uh, and so she says yes. And so his sister goes and gets her mother, his mother. So his mother actually comes under the, uh, under the Pharaoh's daughter and is able to nurse Moses until he's of age. And then she gives him to the daughter's Pharaoh, or the Pharaoh's daughter. And he's raised up uh, in Egypt and learns all of that, all of that stuff. But he he's still faithful to his brethren, which we'll see. Um, okay, 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. Remember that episode um, on the road to Emmaus in chapter 24 of Luke when uh, Christ shows up to these guys. They don't know that uh, it's, uh, it's Christ. And, and, but, and Christ is asking, what is, it, you know, what is this you're all talking about? Well, you go a long way and are sad. And they said, you're the only one who, you know, <laughs> who doesn't know these things. And he says, what things? And he says, about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in words and deeds, just like Moses. Remember, Moses even said, God told him, promised him, I will raise up a prophet like you. There is no other prophet like Moses other than Christ. Ultimate. 
even the ultimate. You've raised up a greater prophet than Moses. Um, uh, so I just wanted to recall that for you. 23. Now when, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. It's interesting. Moses kind of has three stages of 40 years of his life. He lives to be about 100, around 120. For the first uh, 40 years, he's, he's reared in, in Egypt until this specific episode we'll talk about. Um, and then the next 40 years is he, he flees and he's in the wilderness for uh, 40 in Midian. Uh, for wilderness of Midian for 40 years and then God calls him in the bush you know uh, and and for the following 40 years it's after he delivered Israel and they're uh, wandering the wilderness for 40 years which was a judgment of God which will God willing get back to some other time um, uh, okay 24 and 25 and seeing one of them suffer wrong he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand but they did not understand so there comes a part point around his 40s that he's that he decides you know first of all he's going to go visit his brethren you know he realizes and it, it kind of hits his heart anyway that that uh, that that's still his kinship yes I was reared in Egypt but I, my my kindred are my brothers, and, and ultimately I'm going to go visit them, and I seek to deliver them, apparently, uh, from the Egyptians. So, what, what he does is, this, this Egyptian is abusing this Hebrew, and so, after that, uh, he looks this way, looks around, and he kills the Egyptian, and he hides him under the sand. Okay, and he thinks I'll, everything's fine. This is this is how we'll do it. I'll just start a violent uprising in secret, you know, and I'll just deliver my brothers in secret and by violence. Okay, now he wants he's so and Stephen is even saying he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by His hand, but they did not. So so Moses is saying basically thinking that my brother's going to understand that I that I want to deliver them, and this is the way we're going to do it. God has not called him to deliver him yet. And that's why this violent, uh, this violent uprising, that is absolutely ap uh, apart from anything God had anything to do with. Um, okay, 26. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, two Hebrews, and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you were brethren. Why do you wrong one another? Moses couldn't understand. Again, he's trying to deliver. Now he's seeing these two brothers fighting, you know, so he's asking why. But so he's trying to bring peace, but only a man of peace can bring peace. Moses was a murderer. All right. 27 and 28. But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So two were fighting, but one obvious had wronged the other. And he's still fighting. And he's the one who gets all incensed against Moses. The ones who are the most offensive are often the most offended. And that's what happens here. Here's the man who did the fault in the first place, and he's trying to defend himself and say, who are you? You're a murderer, as if that makes him a good man in comparison. And, but Moses didn't know that this thing was found out. Uh, so, um, uh, 29. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, uh, where he had two sons. So here's the second phase of 40 years of Moses' life. Okay, So Pharaoh finds out about it and wants to kill Moses. So, 
I mean, whether Pharaoh relented for his daughter because, you know, she, he, she loved him and fine. Okay, well, I'll relent and let you have this one. But remember, he still had that fear. So when this, ha when this happened, it either his fear came upon him and he's like, see, this is what I was afraid of. <laughs> I told you people. And so he wants to kill him. Moses takes off into the wilderness of Midian. And there, uh, he, he comes across... There, the the priest of Midian's name is Jethro. Okay, and he has seven daughters. They go to the well to water to water their troughs and and to water their flocks as well to fill their troughs and water their flocks. Where uh, shepherds, other shepherds come and drive them away. They continue, and Moses actually stands up for him. He stood up for him and and helped them you know fill their troughs. Which apparently these women were always being assaulted by other shepherds because Jethro is kind of surprised when they come back so quickly. And he's like, how, do, how is it that you've returned so quickly? And they say, a man delivered a, uh, us you know, from the shepherds. And he's like, well, where is he? <laughs> Go get him. And, he, and, 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 and they come in and bring him. And, and Moses lives with Jethro. And Jethro gives him one of his daughters, Sipporah. Uh, and, and he has two sons. One is Gershom which means a uh, stranger there. For Moses said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. The other was El Eleazar, which means my God is my help. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Love to talk more about that, but we'll wait another time, God willing. 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and a bush in the wilderness of uh, Sinai. So Moses became a shepherd, interestingly. Okay, now when he led his flock to the back of the desert, he came to this... Uh, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, so it's not yet called uh, Mount Sinai, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, okay, from the midst of the bush. So Exodus 3, 2, 3 says, So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the, why the bush, bush does not burn. Um, there's much to be said about this passage, but one thing I want to make clear here, because we're going to see it again, we must, we must recognize, first of all, that this angel of the Lord is spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament. He's actually the one who calls uh, uh, Abraham. When, when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, God, God commands him to uh, sacrifice his son, uh, Isaac. And, and he, long story short, he ends up taking him to a mount. Isaac doesn't know, but he's, he's tying him up. And he lifts his knife to, to, to sacrifice him. And uh, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, you know, don't lay your hand on your son. For now I know, you know, you fear God. For you have withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the angel of the Lord and God are one. This is, this is what I was talking about last time with the mystery. And we're trying to figure this stuff out. So the angel of the Lord appears in the, mo in, in the bush and God speaks. The angel of the Lord came to Abraham and says, you know, lay not your hand on, the son, on your son, your only son, by the way, which is pointing to Christ. But uh, for now, I know that you fear God, but because you, you, you did, would not have spared your son from me. It doesn't say from God. He says from me. It's the same thing. Anyway, um, so we need to recognize that. Uh, okay, 31 and 32. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled to dare not look. So again, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and God spoke. 
in the uh, yeah in the episode of Exodus three five six, uh, the end of verse six says, "And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God." We talked about that. Yeah, this is a right fear. 33 and 34. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the impression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Here, Stephen observes that where God is, that place is holy. The temple isn't holy unless God is there. The temple isn't holy because it's just this mandate God gave. God's presence is what makes anything holy, anywhere holy, any at all holy. Um, so, again, what makes the temple uh, holy is God's presence, not the priests. Um, okay, here God sent Moses to Egypt to deliver his people, just as he sent his son to do likewise, one from bondage in Egypt, in Egypt the other from sin. 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So, by the way, he's also saying that he was sent by the angel, not God, which is basically saying the same thing anyway. Um, so, Stephen is emphasizing the tendency in Jewish history of the people rejecting God's prophets, prophets just like these men are doing, that the, his accusers. Um, uh, God sent Moses to be ruler and to deliver by the hand of the angel, uh, just like he sent his son to be ultimate ruler and deliverer. We've already talked about the angel, the Lord, and God. So, 36. He brought them out after he had shown uh, wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea in the wilderness 40 years. This is the Passover. I know we briefly talked about this. Do y'all remember vaguely, you know, they, they sacrificed the lamb. They would have to put the blood on the doorpost and... The, Angel of death would pass over. Great. Nice. So, but after the Red Sea, uh, they, these people are still always murmuring and complaining and all this stuff. So God says, this generation will not enter the promised land. So that's why they, uh, they wander for 40 years until the next generation comes. But they wander uh, in the wilderness 40 years. 37. Um, this is the Mo that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. We've kind of mentioned this before. Okay, so, uh, so Stephen shows that these men, these men that Moses himself, so he's saying Moses himself said this, and Christ has come and they reject him too. Uh, and and he's, uh, he's, already, he's starting to already uh, lay the foundation, lay the work that, you know, these people were always going against the prophets. Just because they were Israelites, just because they were Hebrews, didn't mean they were, uh, you know, they were zealous for the things of God. They were against God. Um, okay. And by the way, P yeah, Peter already linked this verse to Christ in the third chapter of Acts, if you don't remember that. All right, verse 38. This is he who was, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living uh, oracles to give to us. So congregation is that Greek word, ecclesia in the Septuagint, like we had mentioned. Um, the occasion of Mount Sinai uh, is in Exodus 20, but it says it doesn't say anything of an angel. There are hints uh, in Exodus 19, 24, and 25. So the, just before uh, chapter 20, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them, lest he break out against them. 
So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Yahweh, Yahweh said to Moses to disallow the priests and the people to break through to come up to the Lord, lest he... So God uses third, refer, you know, third uh, person references to himself sometimes, and that's where we need to find figure this whole thing out, the Trinity and, and how that manifests and what that means. Okay. Um, by the way, Stephen calls the law living oracles. They're not only oracles, but they're alive. Okay, now... Now, when Paul talks about the law being kind of a curse for us, it's not a curse in and of itself. It's not, you know, uh, intrinsically evil. Again, that's who, that reflects who God is. It's us who make it evil. We can't fulfill it. We can't do it, and thereby we are cursed. Um, 39 through 41, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us uh, out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and, re and rejoiced in the work of their hands. I'm just going to kind of go with, with, by this. So the fathers rejected Moses to serve the uh, superstitions of Egypt, which is an absurd thing. The very place of their slavery is still the same place of their hearts. Uh, though there was a time it was suggested, actually, that they actually returned to, into um, Egypt. It was suggested one time. They don't want to go back to Egypt bodily, you know, because that's where their bondage was. But they apparently love all the different things about Egypt. They'll even, they'll even complain, like, when they, when they, because God provides bread for them all the time and sometimes meat and, and this kind of a thing. And they're always complaining, like, you know, in Egypt we had leeks, we had pomegranates, we had all this stuff. And they're complaining, and so they still have their heart there, but not because of their slavery, which is typical for everybody. Um, so, okay, 42 and 43. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan. Uh, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. God is just, and those who will not worship him will be left to worship anything else. Remember when Chesterton said, I don't know if I actually mentioned it. Chesterton, again, one of my favorite apologists, uh, old apologists said, um, what was this about? Oh, yeah. Uh, the danger in disbelieving God isn't that you d won't believe anything. The danger in disbelieving God is that you're likely to believe anything. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. So those who aren't going to worship God, God gives over to worship anything else, even a golden calf that they just made. Um, the host of heaven is a celestial body such as the sun, uh, moon, and the stars. Uh, here's Stephen Stite. So this is from Amos uh, 25 through 27, as means to show that idolatry continued well after Moses as well. So he's just saying, you know, this continued. It wasn't just the people in the wilderness who were complaining. Everybody was rejecting the prophets. So after these, or I'm sorry, just uh, prior to these verses, Amos actually says, I hate, I despise your feast days. This is God. I, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I, will, I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take, take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I mean, that's beautiful. But what he's saying is, you rejected me, so don't come to me with your burnt sacrifices. I don't, I don't delight in burnt sacrifices. David later says, uh, I don't, the Lord doesn't delight in burnt sacrifices. What he desires 
is a contrite and pure heart for God. Uh, by the way, Israel was replete with, with, with what's known as syncretism. In, in, in the context of uh, Judaism, it would basically be integrating other gods, foreign gods, and worshiping them just, you know. It's kind of like they would be less than their God of Israel sometimes, that always wasn't the case, but sometimes you would, but they would still worship them. Solomon actually was guilty of that, uh, which is one reason the kingdom is, was divided. Um, so just so you know, Moloch was a pagan Canaanite uh, uh, god of fertility with the infamous uh, practice of child um, sacrifice. People would sacrifice their children in terrible ways, uh, including some Israelites who came under that practice, which many prophets were rejecting strongly. Um, Remphan was, th there's some dispute as to who he was, uh, but is probably an Egyptian god that referred to uh, Saturn. Uh, and by the way, the original text at the end where it says, uh, and I'll carry you away beyond Babylon, it actually says Damascus, which was the capital of, uh, of the Assyrians. The Assyrians actually took northern kingdom of Israel captive. Babylon later takes the southern uh, 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 kingdom of Judah, which we've mentioned, captive. And the, the southern kingdom of Judah is, is what's strong, strong in these men's hearts. That's why, that's why he changes it to Babylon, because he's also carried them away from Babylon. So it's not, this isn't just applied to the northern kingdom. He's emphasizing them to, the, this, to this men, these men that this also includes, includes us. Okay, So that's why he's uh, mentioning that. 44 and 45. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern he, that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before uh, the face of our fathers until the days of David. Okay, I'm going to try to go through this uh, somewhat. Um, so, um, so it, he calls it the tabernacle of witness because uh, in the Holy of Holies, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, is the, those tablets of the, the commandments. Uh, so that would actually, it would be, uh, what was it? Uh, I can't remember what it was called. But basically that's why it's called, uh, it, so it used to be called the, the, the tabernacle of testimony or the tent of testimony. It's the same thing. The words are uh, um, interchangeable. This tabernacle was very ornate. Uh, you, you, you see the pattern that God gives um, for the making of the tabernacle. So, and unfortunately, reformers have gone the opposite way because, so the Catholic churches are very ornate, very beautiful, very, you know, which, which can also lead to just like these men. It, it doesn't always, I'm not suggesting that's even why the Catholics do it. I'm just saying it can lead to people losing God in the beauty. But, I, but reformers have gone to the opposite side where you go, go into these churches and it's just bland gray walls because they don't want it to be ornate. They, they've, they're, 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 they're trying to uh, remonstrate so much against the Catholic Church that they say the beauty of God is just his word. Now that's fine. I, I, I couldn't agree more. But God made his tabernacle and his temple beautiful because God is beautiful. Beauty is from God. We shouldn't reject beauty just because... You know, some people see it some other way. Uh, now, there's a proper way to do that, you know, and there's a, there's a faithful way to do that. There's nothing wrong with it, with a beautiful uh, um, church. 46 and 47. 
who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But, but Solomon built him a house. So David, whose name actually means beloved, wanted to, be, to build the temple. He wanted to build it because this tabernacle was the tent. They're now in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. David has taken over all sorts of lands. Uh, and so this is where they're staying. They're, this is their capital and it's going to be their capital. So I want to build God a temple. And God tells him, no, no, you're a man of war. Blood is on your hands. Uh, I will, I will, uh, you'll give birth to a son, call his, call him Solomon, which means peace because his day, he, he will reign in peace. God gives uh, Solomon's reign full of peace. And he says, Solomon will build your house. Now, David gets all the preparations, he gets all the money for it, gets all the material, actually draws it up according to how God wants him to draw it up to give to Solomon. So by the time Solomon actually becomes king, everything's ready. Okay. Uh, but that's, that's all basically, um, I wanted to uh, um, mention in that. So, 48 through 50. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand, hand made all these things? So, even when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, he said in 1 Kings 8:27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens can, cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. So, this heaven of heavens, we'll get into some other time, God willing. But he's saying, you know, the greatest expanse that you can con even conceive of can't can contain you, much less this temple I've built. Uh, this passage is actually from uh, the passage that uh, Stephen is quoting is from uh, 66, chapter 66, verse 1 and 2, which finishing verse 2 in Hebrew. So uh, when, oh, done more, uh, when it says, uh, has my hand not made all these things? It goes on to say, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Okay, so that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking for some bombastic, you know, puffed up uh, man, uh, even who suggests that you know he wants everything to do with me. So, and Stephen's emphasizing that God does not dwell in the Jerusalem temple alone. Fifty-one through forty, fifty-three. From here, we, shouldn't take much longer. Uh, sort of. Um, you stiff-necked uh, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who, who have received the law by the uh, direction of angels and have not kept it. So here's Stephen, had just given all of his, uh, his defense, and now he's saying, you stiff-necked, now again, the trial has turned, Let's, let's recognize that every time this happen, happens. So the terms stiff-necked and uh, uncircumcised in, in heart are actually throughout the Old Testament. Uh, to be stiff-necked basically means to be spiritually stubborn or obstinate. Um, uh, uh, and the other is basically, so uncircumcised in heart means spiritually uh, unregenerate or closed to divine admonition kind of a thing. Deuteronomy 10.16 says, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So remember, he, now, now he's, he's even saying in Deuteronomy, uh, God is saying, you know, this whole circumcision thing that y'all keep on focusing on, circumcise your heart. That's where, that's really the point of the whole circumcision thing. <laughs> the Greek word for always means perpetually or incess incessantly. So what he says for always 
you know, uh, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. The Greek word always means per- perpetually or incessantly, and the resisting uh, the Holy Spirit really means to oppose him or to be adverse with him or strive against him. So those are the Greeks. So it's just more emphatic than what the verse kind of suggests. This is not an occasional mistake. This is deliberate evil that happens regularly. Excuse me. Stop. So Stephen universalizes this rejection. So he says, you always, you know, reject, as did your fathers, by the way, as will your sons. Spiritual sons, okay? But, but as will your sons. This continues. Um, uh, it's widely... Uh, okay, yeah, also, it's uh, widely thought that after, right after this, Stephen was probably about to say some, some, answer these questions kind of a thing, but it's this time that the, that the people get enraged, and so uh, he's kind of interrupted, so to speak. Um, they even murdered the prophets who foretold of the prophet, uh, who they also betrayed and murdered. The just one can also be translated the righteous one, and he's spoken of in Isaiah, uh, like an example is, well, he's spoken of in Isaiah. Um, the culmination of the history of the church and Israel's persecution is in Christ who suffered ultimately and redemptively. He was not a martyr. He was not an example. So he wasn't a martyr. Uh, he is our atonement. He was not an example. He is our substitute. Um, Stephen had shown how they had received the law through the direction of angels and now they have that. Yeah, they have not kept it. 54. Okay, here's where we start. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. First of all, they were cut to the heart. Remember in chapter 2, at the end of uh, Peter's sermon, the men are cut to the heart. And he said, they say, brethren, what do we do? How, how, how are we saved? So these, those men were cut to the heart to repent. These men are cut to the part, heart to kill, mm-hmm. to destroy. Psalm uh, 112, 9 through 10, uh, His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Luke 13, 24 and through 30. Here's where we'll start. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not, will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where you are from, then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves uh, thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there will be first who will be last. This gnashing, so Christ says there will be weeping other occasions, say wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, the Bible talks about, especially in here, that when people die, they refer to them as going asleep. So these people will wake, and one of two things, one of two reactions. One, some, will wail. There's no... Now, okay, what will happen in hell? 
will be the worst of things we can't even imagine. We have not wailed like people will wail in hell. There's no depression low enough in all the world. There never has been like the depression that person wakes with in hell. And they will wail, wail. No, God, not here. And they'll just, and they won't even have waters coming out of their eyes. Because otherwise, then they can sue their thirsty tongues. They will just be crying continually without crying. A frustration will never end. And, and a depression lower than you will ever imagine forever. The other, gnash their teeth in fury. God, how dare you? How dare you? Just like these people, which will carry over into its ultimate. You haven't seen fury like that vain fury you'll see in hell. There will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. There will be divine judgment. Now, the God's justice is is just like just like we've saying we've been saying. God does not send these people to hell to torture them. He sends these people to hell as a judgment. So no man is going to be punished more than he deserves justly. Okay? But these people are justly damned. Remember, there are no innocent natives anywhere. God is just. But let's remember, and this is just the fir our first like introduction in to hell, but there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. When you speak to somebody who doesn't love Christ, when you're, when you're trying to witness to Christ, remember that. Remember that. First of all, what I try to emphasize over and over again is when we're witnessing to Christ, the ultimate, our ultimate focus has to be Him and His glory and His great harvest. However, have a heart for your brothers. Have a heart for fellow men. Never. I mean, you don't have a heart for Christ if you're just indifferent on whether or not men or women will find their fate this way. Okay? All right. 55 and 56. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man attending uh, or standing at the right hand of God. Now, first, let's recognize the men aren't starting to stone him until after he says this. But what a beautiful thing! First of all, you you usually see Christ sitting at God's right hand. That's all, that. This is the first time we see him standing. By the way, first of all, this is the first occasion of somebody seeing the resurrected Christ and the ascended. Christ. This is the first time. I tell you, you know, he, he calls Paul and he later shows, but this is the first time. Just before the first martyr, he reveals himself and he's standing either to receive him or ready to, uh, to, to defend him. Christ is our advocate, but he's also our judge, so we kind of have an in. But, <laughs> but he is our advocate, but he's standing there waiting for him. He's not sitting at God's right hand like we see him uh, so many times. He's standing. I just think... The faithfulness of the God we serve. The tremendous, incredible faithfulness in his love for his people, which I try to 
not emphasized as much because it's so shallowly concerned sometimes, but his love is, tr is tremendous. I just think we make it more generic than it actually is. Uh, but he's there standing in heaven waiting for him. All right, here we go. 57 through 60. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at, ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was called. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not charge them with this sin." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So, we'll see. We see we see Saul consenting to Stephen's death here, and we'll see in the next chapter how he made havoc in the church early and dragging men off. Um, in fact, he says in his letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, and I am but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Again, that just goes on to his persecution. So those sinners, are, so he was persecuting the church. So though they be far away from the Lord, they are not beyond his immeasurable reach. They, they are never too far. God, David says, uh, you know, where, where will I go if I were to, where would I go if I were to try to flee from your presence? So if I go to the ends of the earth, you're there. If I, you know, go down to the, the lowest place of hell, thou art there. There's no place to flee from his presence. So there's no sinner too far from his grace or too deep in uh, degeneracy. Paul is persecuting the church, and Christ calls him. Okay. First of all, let, let, me, let me show you. As Stephen's being stoned, these stones are striking him till he's dying. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, just like Christ said on the cross. Mm -hmm. Father, I commit my spirit to you. Then he, just before he goes to sleep, he says, Lord, do not charge them with his sin, just like our Lord did on the cross. He's emulating his Christ just before he dies, just before he's received into heaven. He's emulating his Lord. If we ever come to that day, I pray we do likewise. Okay. All right. Okay, so the same deal about hell, right? Where, where we can't imagine the wailing or the depression. We can't imagine the joy. We can't imagine that elation, that purity. By the way, also, so obviously I, I can't, I, I don't long to die. I long to live. So I, I'm not trying to hurry and, and you know, uh, that day, will come when that day comes, when God calls me home, and I eagerly anticipate that. I can't wait to go to see, to, to meet heroes of the faith that, that have so Im heavily influenced me. Sproul, Augustine, Edwards, Spurgeon, and men even in the Bible, uh, David, uh, Paul. I can't wait to talk to Paul. Uh, John, uh, James, James. I can't wait to do, I can't wait to see uh, faithful men who have gone beyond, and women who have gone beyond, and reunite with them in heaven. People who I have loved and, and have passed on. I cannot wait that, uh, for that. You, us, here. I love you all differently. You know I love you all, but differently. 
you know, and all and all that. Obviously, she's my wife. She's taught, but and this is great, right? This doesn't compare. This does not compare to the fellowship we will have in heaven. I love hanging out with you. Love hanging out with you. Love hanging out with you. You, you, <laughs> love it, love it. But even our relationship, we have a wonderful relationship. I, I dearly love her like I love nobody else. Even that does, just pales in comparison to that. Okay, so that day. That fellowship we will have with other believers, we can't even imagine. We can try. We can try. And we should. And we should. And we should long in patience, though, for that day. But I have to tell you something. There's only one. There's only one who I'm really looking forward to seeing. There's only one. I cannot wait until that day I bow before him. And God willing, says... Good sir, good and faithful servant, come and enter into my rest. I can't tell you how much that stirs my soul uh, just to hear the Lord of glory say this to me. Lastly and quickly, Christ said in Matthew 13, 41 through 43, Son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the key part. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What moral frame am I that may propose to be eternal when all my sin and dark decay must render me infernal? Who am I that I should rise into thy name forever, where thy saints no longer cry, how with my failed endeavor? Why, my God, am I spared the flame? For I know my sinful heart. Rejoice, my soul, thy Savior came to fully take thy part. Rejoice, O saints, from far and wide, no need to be cast down. Rejoice, ye heavens, thy Christ abides to make thee more renowned. Rejoice, ye angels, man's faithful friends, thy service not in vain. Rejoice, ye earth, for at thy end, he shall be risen to be reigned. We worship, we worship thee, O Lord of glory, our hands forever raised. For thy day to come ends not thy story. It begins eternal praise. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray this has pleased you. I pray by your grace you have made these silly little words that come out of silly, dirty tongue, filthy mouth, to be cleansed by your grace, enter into your servants' hearts, souls, your children. Rise up in us a fire for you, my God. Show us your glory. Manifest your presence in and through us. Forever and ever. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. That was <coughs> that was great, mm -hmm. Any questions? Before no. I That's a lot. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.